And let me go ahead and open us in a word of prayer. Father, what a high privilege it is to come into your presence, to meet with you as a equipping class this morning. And Father, our prayer simply is this, that you would meet us, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, equip us, Lord, that we might be your people, your witnesses in a world that desperately needs you. Father, help us as well to think about how we encourage one another. And Lord, as we hear from Aaron, as we hear from Christian, as I put in a couple of thoughts, Lord, we just want to ask this morning that you would be pleased with all that is said and done. And we want to give you all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go into the review, it's my high privilege this morning to give away some books. Uh, this first book is called Praying the Bible, Donald Whitney. It has been listed on our handout as a, as a good resource. I've got two copies to give away, and I can tell you, I personally, and I say I, we, personally, greatly benefited from this book. Uh, we read it at a critical time uh, in our life together, Nance and I, and uh, it, had, it was a huge, huge blessing to us to learn how we might more clearly come into God's presence and pray in response to what we were reading in His Word. So two copies of Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. I need one of those. Okay. All right. How about that? And then, this is a resource that Pastor Brad was telling me uh, is kind of normally handed out to people who go through the equipping class, or excuse me, not the equipping class, but the discovery class. Um, but from, I'm looking around and I'm thinking that probably the majority of us we, we didn't get that when we came through because that was quite a long while back. It's called Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. And I've got three copies of this to give away. Uh, the author is Christopher Ash. I can highly recommend him. I read his book in the Gospel According to the Old Testament and he was writing on the book of Job. He's an outstanding author and I've got three copies of this for people who have maybe not seen this when you came through the discovery class. Three copies going. All right, there's two. All right, well, all right. let's go right here. Okay. Okay, this morning, uh, I just want to briefly recap where we've been in these last weeks. Um, um, Way back at the beginning, when Mario started this off, um, he made the observation that for Bible-believing Christians, there are three assumptions. There is a God. God has revealed Himself, and God wants us to know Him. You might remember that when I taught the first time, that I kind of gave you a little bit of an idea of where I came from, coming from a total non-Christian background. And then as I looked at those assumptions, it occurred to me, coming from a completely non-Christian, non-religious background, those three assumptions are up for debate with me. Or you might actually hear that <laughs> they're not up for debate. They're vigorously disputed. And so we went through all of that. And then, and I want to read this scripture. This is one of my favorite places 
uh, to read the book of Ephesians chapter 2. So no matter if we grew up in the church, no matter if we're coming from a complete pagan background such as I did, listen to what it has to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now watch these next two words. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so, if you grew up in the church, those are three good assumptions. There is a God, he has revealed himself, he wants us to know him. But maybe you didn't come from that kind of a background. Maybe these things were up for debate. But God. And so here's my encouragement to us. What was previously assumed, debated, or vigorously disputed, hopefully and prayerfully, are now not three assumptions, but rather three biblical convictions. Things that we are definitely convinced of. And so then we move to talk about Bible intake and six means of that. Hearing the Word. Reading, meditating, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, and then talking about the Word. And then we talked about, two weeks, we talked about prayer. With observations like this, we do not pray at all, we do not pray enough, we do not pray rightly. And then we also considered, in the following week, hindrances to prayer and practical aspects of prayer. And so very briefly, that's where we've been. And this morning where we want to go is to now concern ourselves, not how do we individually meet with God, but how do we do that as a body? What do we see in the, in the, in the Bible from beginning to end? The people of God meeting together. In the Old Testament, tabernacle. In the New Testament, it starts to be church, uh, synagogues initially and then churches planted and the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So how do we do that? And that's what we want to do here in the next while. And so we're going to shift gears now more to the panel and uh, we're going to concern ourselves with um, three things as we think about uh, how do we... Uh, well, first of all, I, I've jumped ahead a point. We want to... We want to concern ourselves with how do we learn, how do, what are we able to learn as we meet with him? And so Christian's going to lead us off talking about how this has its outworking, not as a, oh yeah, thank you, appreciate that, I already done forgot that. Um, individually, and then how does that look in family life? And Christian's going to address that area, I and mean, then we're all going to just interact with that. And then in the lives of fellow believers, like we're meeting now, and then also, how does it have an outworking as we meet with non-Christians? And so, brother, start us off. All right. <clears throat> so, individually, starting off, right, Frank? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. first, I, I mean, I, I've not been able to attend these classes, been helping out with youth and so on, so I haven't been through the whole 
uh, uh, program uh, with Frank, but was able to chat with him a little bit. But wanted to start off by just saying how much of a privilege it is for us as a people of God to have a personal God, a God who you can encounter on a personal level. And just a, a, a testimony from me, I got saved when I was pretty young and uh, went through a lot of um, change in the way that uh, our family understood interactions with God, different denominational, different um, theological belief systems. But throughout that time, something that was emphasized for me was uh, we have a personal relationship with God. You can come to Him on a personal level. You can talk to Him. The Holy Spirit guides you. The, God, the Holy Spirit prays and intercedes for you. Jesus uh, intercedes at the throne room of God for you. That even if you don't quite know what to pray, then they will be interceding for you. And so I clung to that very strongly during all that time. And um, it was such a comfort and a privilege for me during that time to be able to um, know that I could talk to my Heavenly Father and know that he was listening and he was working in my life. So just start there just to encourage you all. That's the kind of God we have. We have a personal God who we can encounter on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, and he cares about each and every one of us. He cares to hear from us. So I just, just start there. But individually, I think one of the things that's most important uh, to me in this area is regular Bible intake, as, as Frank mentioned, and ensuring that not only do I read the Bible daily and devotionally, but that I study it carefully and then meditate on that study um, over throughout the week. And it's just so surprising, it shouldn't be surprising because scripture says this, but it is uh, sometimes surprising to see how what you're studying and, mem- and meditating on and memorizing during the week becomes useful during that week. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just yeah. the interactions with people, um, whether you're sort of in a discipling relationship or counseling or parenting or uh, a husband and wife style relationship, how much that just um, just uh, comes becomes useful. I even So last week uh, I was reading in Luke chapter 6, 46. And this is seems simple, but I just want to share how it struck me, just as an example. Uh, Luke 6, 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It, it, just the incongruity of calling Jesus Lord and not following Him. It's just the simplicity of that message. That, that we can apply in everyday situations um, and, and when we make decisions and our actions is, that should be running through our heart and minds, is we call Jesus Lord. Yeah. So when we make those decisions, when we, uh, and when we, when we do what we do, why, why do we not do so as if Jesus is Lord in our life? I mean, it's just, it's just so simple. But yet, day after day, we continue to rebel and we <laughs> choose to, uh, to disobey in that way. So, um, yeah, just that's how Bible intake uh, affects me. And then prayer, of course. I've, I've, ha- I've actually had a struggle with prayer in my life. Um, just trying to work through what that means. Um, 
to me, and, and I've come to the point now where it's not just checking something off a list like, oh, I've done my, I've said my prayers. Mm-hmm. Come from a background where my grandfather was definitely a say your prayers type believer, where he would read from a book of prayers, and then that would be his prayer for the day. Oh boy. So just kind of working through that, but really understanding that a prayer is a conversation with the Lord, mm-hmm. moment by moment. And it says pray continually, and I thought, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to stop and say a prayer, a formal prayer, every two minutes or something? No, it's truly that continued conversation. And especially as I've come into eldership, just really understanding how much I must cast my burdens onto the Lord in prayer. And when I feel out of depth, where I feel like um, I don't have the wisdom in this situation and just saying I have to give it out to the Lord in prayer and trust that he fills in the gaps like he does so uh, that's just a couple examples for me personally Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want to move on to yeah why don't you blend that out into family life and how does that work Uh, you're you're the head of a home I was at one point but uh, the reason I'm not going to speak to this is it's just me and Mr. Max the cat so uh, you know, he really doesn't. I mean, he hangs with me in the morning. Uh, you know, he the only thing he contributes is just getting me up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's I tell him five o'clock is good. Sometimes it's a little bit earlier than that. So, but other than that, it's <laughs> yeah. No, he's pretty persistent. Okay, so you want me to go into a little bit about family life? Right. Okay. Stop me if I go on to. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think uh, one of the things, uh, thinking about encountering God in family life, a um, long time ago I read a book called Everyday Talk, um, and it's a parenting book, and, it, and it's talking about how you use um, situations, everyday situations, to illustrate the gospel to your children. Um, and it struck me thinking about Deuteronomy 6, which commands us to talk about the Lord's commandments as you wake up, as you lay down, as you walk along the way, etc., etc. Basically, uh, sort of a euphemism for all the time, right? That's when we're supposed to be telling the commandments of the Lord to our children. And just taking that really on board and leveraging every situation, every moment to talk to the, our children about, uh, about God, even just conversationally uh, and instructively, because we're told to instruct our children as well but um, you know maybe expressing out loud those moments when my Bible reading has just become real to me oh wow that just happened I read that in my Bible this morning and now look what's happened or um, uh, how you know you if you have children that are old enough um, that uh, you know sitting in the sermon with them ensuring they're listening and then following up afterwards throughout the week to say, hey, you remember uh, Rad was saying this morning this and this. Well, here's how that applies right here, right now. Um, also, I think being humble to you, in your family to point out when your heart has been changed by the Lord, expressing that as well. Like, I was thinking this, but I see how the scriptures applied here, and I have, I have had to change my heart on this matter being humble, or even modeling how the Holy Spirit has been instrumental to convict me of sin, and expressing that out loud as well. 
um, show how the Holy Spirit works, talking of encountering God, and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling. And that is how we encounter God, is by how He convicts us of sin. And I think one of the worst things a father can do is not express when they're wrong, and how they've been convicted, and how they need to repent, and how they forgive, and how they can be restored in relationship. Just that microcosm of the gospel in everyday situations. That's how we really encounter God in, is in that way in particular. Even asking forgiveness of your children. Then they, they, can, actually, they can actually see how God works. Uh, I think praying together is important. That you, your children hear your heart and your, the whole family hears your heart toward the Lord. When you're talking directly to the Lord in prayer, there's a certain vulnerability and honesty uh, that, you would, that you should have, that you would hope to have before the Lord. And it's important, I think, for you to hear that, the family, the whole family to hear that. That you truly are talking to a God, like I said, who is personal, who cares. Um, and so prayer in that m small corporate setting uh, in the family is important. Say that we are directly communicating with the Almighty God who wants to listen. Do you cut me out? No, no. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about men, but there are some women in here. Yes. So how about that? Well, I think the first thing we want to think about is family life is biological, but it's also spiritual. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that we sometimes miss, that mm -hmm. it's really important. So if you are a single person, it's really important if you are living with somebody else, that's an opportunity to practice those disciplines within the context of your yeah. sphere. And so I think sometimes that gets lost when yeah, we're thinking yes. about this. This is very important to think about mothers and fathers and training up of children. But I also think within the context of our local churches, we need to be encouraging one another to sharpen each other within the context of whatever home environment you may have. Um, maybe you have somebody living within your family for a time. You would bring them into your family devotions. You wouldn't exclude them from the family table during that time, would you? That would be awkward. So, so it goes with single people who may not have children. And then there's the idea that you may not have the opportunity to bear children as um, a married couple, but you adopt children, you know, spiritual children into your home and can invest and pour into them as well. So I think a lot of the things that um, Christian's mentioning is good, thinking about the sermon, preparing for the sermon. So Brad does an excellent job. Like last night, we sit around the table and he's been laboring over the sermon and he brings up some of the topics that he's thinking through and then we discuss them and then the next day at lunch we talk about the outworkings of the sermon and so now we have an inside track obviously to the pastor so it's a little different right but there's an opportunity there for somebody to read the passage and then do a quick if, if there are two ways to do it there's the you're doing your regular devotions during the week and then you just are reading the passage the day before but there's also the opportunity to be regularly studying it, so doing the deep dive and think, what are the, what would be my three points, or what what's the main point of this that the Lord is trying to teach us in this passage, and how can I apply that today? And that makes the, the sermon even richer because you've you're sitting there on the edge of your seat waiting to see what is Brad going to do, and then like and listen up, you can critique it too because yeah. <laughs> you're like, wait, I think it may be this. Uh, and it provokes good discussion, good um, sharpening of one another spiritually. Yeah. Um, hey, Katty. 
Um, but I do think family life is, it, it's, it all comes down to intentionality. If you don't set an intention, um, life just will run over you. There's just no way around that. So even when they're tiny, I mean, last night we were having trouble with attention spans. And if you know our family, we do not have small children. But I looked at them and I said, we are not two and three anymore. Please close your mouth and pay attention. But when they're two and three, you know, that's just what it's like. And that's okay. It's amazing how much they catch when they're tiny. Just keep going. Persevere in that discipline of raising your children to know and love the Lord. And the other thing is, it happens in those formal times of intention, but it also happens in the informal times. And that's where a lot of it, they see it modeled and lived out in your everyday life. Are you using the word regularly in your conversations with other people? Are you demonstrating gospel living regularly within the context of your home and beyond? When you interact at Walmart, are you conducting yourself in a way that is above reproach and the kids see that? It matters and the kids see it. Here's the other thing. If you're shopping, like discipling, when my kids were small, I always had a woman who would come with me and run errands and all that, and I would use that as a time to disciple her. She sees that. She sees the way I'll use scripture to teach my kids or the way that my kindness or lack of kindness thereof towards the service industry workers and that kind of thing. So those are just a few things. When it comes to family life, it's not just the context around evening devotions or morning devotions. Yeah. Well, and so we talked about family life now. We want to start broadening it out a little bit. And how does how we meet with God individually have an outworking on fellow believers? And I have one brief uh, illustration from the last little while. I think most of us in here know uh, Terry Irwin, who's now the lead pastor over Generations Church. And, um, you know, our church hosted the Simeon Trust workshop. And, uh, and Terry was going to take a part of that. Well, I haven't done one of those, but I've heard from others that that's a very intensive week. And so he reaches out to me and says, uh, would you uh, consider coming to Generations Church and, and preaching on such and so Sunday morning? And so, of course, I, I respond like I usually do and says, well, do bears live in the forest? <laughs> of course I'm going to come. And so, and the amazing thing was he actually gave me about two and a half weeks lead time, which Cole knows uh, a lot of times it's a whole lot closer to, you know, <laughs> two or three days or on one occasion it was the day before I was supposed to preach. But so, so I said, yeah. And so that's Wednesday night. And now listen, I, I'm reading through, I'm on a five-year, a five-day-a-week reading plan, and I've done this the last two years. So the next morning, one of the readings that I'm supposed to read just happens to be Psalm 36. And, you know, Pastor Brad and Cole and, you know, different ones in here who's had opportunities to preach, you sometimes have, uh, Jack, you know, you'll, sometimes the outline just falls out right into your lap. So, I'm reading Psalm 36, and that ends up being my sermon text, and it's like, boom, right there, and it's like inside I think, of... I think Brad would like if that happened to him. That's oh, why oh. I'm laughing. Oh, really? Yeah. It don't... That's why I'm doing... Yeah. That's where his hang-up is. Oh. Sorry, Brad. Well, and this is... Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so, you know, there it was because of the, you know, obviously, it's been a lot of years that I've been doing this, so... That just comes out, 
And I was able to preach from Psalm 36 at Generations Church and be a blessing to that congregation. And it doesn't always happen this way, but he said, you know, we'd be glad to have you come back another time. Wow. And so that's one of the ways. It started just in that morning, you know, happened to be in Psalm 36. Obviously, God has a little bit to do with that, so I am being very facetious when I say happened. So that's how we can be a blessing. It started with a quiet time, me meeting with the Lord, and it had an outworking. Subsequently, another church, I had an opportunity to, to use the same sermon. So that's what we want to talk about. How does it branch out to be a blessing to other people? So, you know, the idea that used to be, you know, I have my devotions, I'm blessed, now my day's going to work right. Uh, that's a very poor way to look at meeting with God. It's got to be more than that. Okay, so the, um, just thinking through this, I think uh, the first thing that jumps out to me is uh, get into some discipling relationships. Um, think about how you can be an instrument of encountering God with others. So praying with people, studying the Word with them, and I'm, I mean just sort of walking through a book of the Bible together. Um, maybe even working through a particular issue, and maybe there's a book that might help with that issue, whatever it might be. Um, and it's, it's, it's wonderful to see how the Lord uses those interactions to, to mold and mature and change you as well as the other people. You, it's the iron sharp and iron relationship where uh, even you might be the primary discipler or you may be the one being discipled, but either way, the Lord works. You encounter God together and you learn and grow uh, together in that way. You see the Holy Spirit uh, working and molding and maturing uh, you, and you and you feel that happen and you see that happen. Um, and then just simply being in one another's lives. Um, like Aaron was sharing, you know, you can go and grocery shopping, but be willing to open up your home and your life to other people. Um, love one another as Christ loved us. I mean, what does, what does the scripture say is that uh, the world will know uh, him by the way that we love one another. Yes. And so for going out and about and opening up your, own, your home, even if you're, you're opening up your home and you invite an unsaved person as well, just that witness of them seeing you interact as a family of God is extremely uh, important. Sacrificial service and care to one another is another way that people see that you are encountering God and that you... Uh, are an instrument of his in the lives of other people. Um, so just a quick couple of examples there in that space. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, one of the things that um, actually Juliana and I were talking about even Thursday night, right, um, about the outworking of the Holy Spirit's work in our life and how that flows out into the life of other believers. So I find that when I am regularly in the Word and praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that directory is a wonderful tool. And um, I have a prayer list too that I go through. But throughout the day, I'll be prompted by some thought that'll come to mind of somebody. And I don't always know what's going on there, so I try as best as I'm able to stop and send a text with the whatever I've been studying that day, with the truth of that, not knowing if it'll apply or not. And so much of the time, mm. it lands 
in a way that I had no idea. Something's well, going on, and I feel yeah. like that happens all the time. And it's people within our congregation, yeah. but it's also within the Universal Church. I mean, we have friends, you know, Brad and I have lived various places where that the spirit, someone will come randomly into my mind, and I'll be thinking about them, and just this urgency to pray. So I'm like, I'm gonna pray for them, but then I'm also gonna tell them, not to build myself up, but because I know when I've been on the receiving end of that, how powerful it is. I'm like, yeah. Lord, you see me. Yeah. You, you've heard my cry for help, and you've answered it from a random spot. Yeah. Um, so that's more like in, um, intentional, but then there's just the, um, the rubbing up against each other within a yeah. Sunday morning gathering. Right. You know, the church is the gathering of the saints. I mean, we, we are scattered throughout, but when we gather, there's something about actually being with one another in a service that encourages one another. So when we know, with it, we look across the room during our musical worship and someone is singing their heart out to the Lord who's just lost their spouse, you know, or you've got, I know a mom who's struggling terribly with children and they're, they're feeling overwhelmed and I see them trying to, you know, minister to these little people in the pew and I think, praise God that they're here. It would be so much easier to stick them in front of a television this morning rather than make them sick in the pew to try and listen and then think to themselves, are they even getting anything? Well, yes, they are. So those things encourage me and then my own fight encourages other people. So we can't forget that mutual edification of just even the gathering itself. We want to touch one other area before we move on to meeting with God together, which is really where we want to spend most of our time. Um, this also has an outworking as we interact with non-Christians. I'll give a brief example that goes all the way back to our time in Austria. Um, when we first were there, uh, obviously you have to learn a language. I certainly had a head start with learning German, but I still needed to learn it. And uh, so uh, on my way into language school, I had a book that I was reading at that point in time. It's a classic work by J.C. Ryle on holiness. And um, so I was reading it on the way back. You know, in, in Austria, you have streetcars, Strassenbahn is what they call them in German. And so you don't do anything. You just get in it. It drops you where you're supposed to be. So for those few minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I can read. I don't have to pay attention because I'm not guy get me there. Well, so that was the, the backdrop. Some of you know that I, uh, I was an umpire for 32 years, and I actually did that when I was in Austria. And they had a European championship, youth championship. So these were other countries sending their teams to Vienna, Austria. And so I'm umpiring for these kids, 10, 12-year-old kids. And after the game, I'm walking away, and this guy walks up to me, and he says, uh, wow, that was a very good job of umpiring. So, I mean, he gives me a nice compliment. You don't generally compliment umpires. You, you generally, you know, whatever. But here's what happened. So I thought, wow, Lord, that's kind of a neat thing. So I just turned it real quick, and I started talking to him, you know, about the Lord. And somehow or another, we, we go right into uh, a witnessing situation, and I ask him, you know, you probably, some of you will know the two diagnostic questions that Evangelism Explosion asks is, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and He were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And so this was the response from this guy. Well, if he didn't pick me, that'd be his loss. <laughs> wow. You know, and the backdrop is that I've been reading holiness. So does he have a high view of God or a low view? Now, here's the other thing. Right next to him was sitting his girlfriend. And he said that, 
and she literally started scooting away from him. And I kind of backed up because I thought, well, Lord, if you want to strike a, throw a lightning bolt down here. And all of that flowed out of me meeting with God, reading holiness and the scriptures and all. And so, you know, you've got, you're going to have those opportunities and they're going to come at you. What? An umpire gets a compliment and then out of that, an opportunity to witness and all of that. God's preparing all of those things and he uses us that way. Yeah, I think uh, with witnessing, uh, first thing that, that you need is uh, to know the gospel inside out. Yeah, yes. Like first of all, yeah. you must understand yeah. uh, the tenets of the gospel um, and make sure that's locked away. And not only that you know it, but you have the discernment to be able to pick up when someone is um, giving you an opening and where you can take that opening to what you know of the gospel. Right. Um, right. So be willing to share at any opportunity. I, though witnessing is somewhat intimidating, um, and I think that the skill or even the gifting of, of being an evangelist in, in some way, um, sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm not really very good at it. I don't think we need to be intimidated that we're not a particularly good evangelist or something. I think we have different ways in which we are good at witnessing. And I'm gonna give you an example. Um, a while back, uh, this is quite a while ago, I, I would say maybe 10 years ago, I did a course in philosophical apologetics. Well. Um, just because I was interested in, and I, I'd had an hour's drive to work, an hour's drive back, so I could listen to a lecture each time. And I went through the whole course, it was 30 something lectures. And it was just because I was like, well, how do I argue about the existence of God and, and so on uh, f without using the Bible? Um, and so then I had developed a relationship with a, a chap at work who was highly philosophical. He wanted to talk about things from a philosophical perspective. Hmm. And so we would wow. go get lunch every so often, and we'd start talking about philosophy. And I just listened to this course, so I had all the I had all these things just queued up and ready to go. And um, we got pretty far down that road of proving to him not only was there an uncaused cause which brought everything into being, but that he gives propositional truths and reveals himself and that that's the only way we have objective moral values, etc., 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 to the point where he was seriously considering, I continue to pray for him today because he, he left the job, but um, just giving him something to think about down that road. So don't feel like you have to, um, uh, no, I would say it this way around. Um, if there's something that you're particularly interested in, like a, a, an area of theology, philosophy, whatever it is, use that. Look for the openings there, as well as just in general as well. So, um, I, Only one thing that I would add really to that is how the corporate nature of um, evangelism works. Uh, there, don't forget that part of it. So I love how 
the Lord just prompted you to take a mm -hmm. philosophical yeah. class mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. apologetics. Yeah. But um, I find that when I'm in a situation where I have opportunity to share the gospel, it's really effective when I bring others along with me in the project of mm -hmm. trying to minister to them. Wow. So I've, I have watched, sisters have helped train me in that themselves. They just, in the nature of the course of their days, whether it's an ex, I run one friend, I met a bunch of people in an exercise class. Others is a, um, she's a triathlete, so she's training, so she goes on runs with non-Christians, and then she invites believers in that journey with her to wow. share, so that corporately, they're actually working together in opportunity. So it's bringing, so, hey, can I bring my friend who's a non-Christian over to dinner at your house? I'm like, absolutely. And then they can see a Christian family working together um, just at a table. And um, I think those are opportunities for us to be able to rely on one another, especially when we realize that we, so we're not feeling particularly gifted in mm -hmm. something, how the Lord will give somebody else and the ability to reach that person and how yeah. corporately it's, it's, um, it's exponential in its effect often. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other thing to remember is that, you know, our Sunday morning services aren't evangelistic events, but by nature, they're evangelistic. Right. Because what happens is that when a non-Christian comes into our body, they see us interacting with each other, much like someone joining you at a dinner table, the microcosm of the nuclear family and how they see that happen. This is a broader picture of that. And so when we interact with yeah. one another, we're actually um, evangelistic in our witness, which yeah. is pretty powerful. And what we just, and what Aaron just did for us was take us right into our next point, which is actually what does happen when we meet together. And uh, this is another book that I have. Uh, it's actually a little bit of a well-worn copy called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. And on I, there was this reference that has to do with exactly what you were just now talking about. And this is what Donald Whitney writes. He says, specific references to being a temple of the Holy Spirit are made far more often about the congregation of believers than about individual believers. So there is a sense in which going to worship with the people of God is going to the Lord's temple where His presence abides. And that is exactly what you just were talking about. And it's interesting. You know, most of you know my wife. And she would have been the very last person that would have said that she was gifted in the area of evangelism. But what did we do together as a couple? Uh, if you're waiting on me to be hospitable, I try and be a nice guy, but I, I can't cook. I don't know how to decorate or any of that kind of stuff, but guess who did? And so we would have people coming over all the time to our place, and, and, and Nancy just loved it because she provided the great meal, the atmosphere in our apartment was always very nice, and she did that. And she just knew that she did, she could relax because I would be the guy that would talk to him about the Lord. And actually, I was the one that spoke German better. So, uh, and it was just like wow. And and what we were doing, we were a team working together. And that's yeah. exactly now that hus husband and wife, and now she's been promoted to heaven. So now it's just me and Max. And. Uh, you see what's Max happening. Is probably or not. not very good at that. And no, he's no. he's a little bit defensive of his territory. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. But you know, here's that's what we want to do is move a little bit more into that. And a couple of thoughts. Now, here we're going to be condensing uh, some of the things that are in the book. Um, but a couple of thoughts. We as we meet with God together. The first one, I'm going to just hit it real quick because 
this should be a given for Christians. Be regularly in church with God's people. Now, we have just come through a time where that was not possible because of something called COVID. Thankfully, for the most part, although there were two cases just this week I heard of, in, uh, as in uh, Christian's wife Erica and Jeff Ward, that within the last week they both have COVID. And I thought we were kind of putting that in the rearview mirror. But, but regularly with God's people in church. Um, and what do we do when we get there? Christian, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier with expect God to speak. You, you said something about him being a personal God. And so oh, yeah. what, what do people yeah. do? Yeah. So in the corporate setting, when we're at church with God's people, I think there's, oh, I mean, there's, a, lot, there's a few things. But I want to highlight a couple is, uh, first, corporate worship. Um, that when we meet together, it's important that the body takes time to worship the Lord together, to encourage one another and to yeah. give the Lord praise and adoration for what he has done yeah. together. Yeah. We need to see amongst ourselves and in one another uh, how we are emotionally and theologically expressing our thankful hearts to the Lord. Yeah. Um, just quickly, just read Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another yeah. in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, yeah. in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so that's what you get in a corporate worship service. Um, singing and, 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 uh, and uh, singing together, but also you saw in there sort of that prayer element as well, corporate prayer. Mm -hmm. So coming to the Lord with prayers of uh, praise, confession, lament, all those things you see uh, modeled in our yeah. church service. We get to hear a member, we get to hear yeah. um, one of our elders uh, come before the Lord together as a corporate body and express our hearts to Him, um, either with uh, praise and supplication but petition as well um, I encourage you when we're in that listen carefully to what the member or the pastor is praying um, so that you can wholeheartedly at the end say amen yes I agree because that is something that we are putting before the Lord together as a body and um, the Lord listens to prayers did you know okay. that yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The prayer of the righteous man avails much. Right. Okay. Um, I think what Christian is saying is just when you expect God to speak, because His Word is what we use as the foundation for the gathering. Right. Um, so we sing the Word, we pray the Word, and then we hear the Word being preached. So the Word, it's Word centered, which is. God's yeah. word. And um, so making sure that that's there. But then what God gives us in the um, service itself, we use like service leaders to tie, there's a theme that's working through. So if you've never paid attention to the worship guide, um, this morning might be a good time to just look at the way that the service is set up with the different music, the types of prayers, what is prayed, and then how that service leader will connect the pieces together. It's like mm. a beautiful puzzle piece that gets put together. Yeah. Um, it took me years to really appreciate that, partly yeah. because when I was first exposed to it, I had small children, and it was just to 
a feat to make it through the service <laughs> with them sitting with me because um, we didn't have childcare at that church. And so then when um, I started to realize that that actually helps me and prepares my heart to hear it. So yeah. as we sing it and yeah. pray it and meditate on it and work through whatever theme might be that, that we're focusing on about the character of God, then when the, it's almost like appetizers for a meal and then the main course. And then you're ready to um, receive it in your heart. Can I say something there? Yeah, so oftentimes we pray for whoever's preparing the sermon Mm -hmm. that week. But I encourage you, pray for the service as well. Because that's that's a hard job to me. And it requires preparation, study, and prayer. So pray for the service leader as much as you pray for whoever's preaching the sermon. Because it's important. Let me just put in a plug for something that I think, uh, and I will speak out of personal experience, I was oblivious to, but in these last six weeks of being one of the ones co-leading this class, I was invited to come to 8.30 over here in the chapel where we do exactly what we've just been hearing about, and usually it's Cole that um, kind of sets up the roster, and exactly right down the line, uh, Pastor Brad, the scripture text, the service leader, and, and down to who's teaching the kids at the lowest level, the middle school, the high school. And, uh, and so, you know, I personally have never been a part of that up until this, this last six weeks, of, you know, because of the fact that they, I was invited to be a part of his teaching. So that's exactly what we're looking for. And so that, I mean, wow, does that ever invest us a whole lot more into this body? You know, then, you know, I'm going to use a baseball term. Uh, probably shock, right? <laughs> um, we love them. If, if you're one of the starters, you know, you're, you know every night you're going to be in the game. But what about the guy who's the bench warmer? Yeah. You know, he really would love to get in there and play in the game. Well, in the church, there shouldn't be any bench warmers. Everybody can be in the game. Praying, just like we've been talking about. Now we're going to move rather quickly because our time's getting ready to get away from us here. And I want to preview just this point. We're hearing a lot of different things this morning and we have three of us up here. So I want to leave time here at the end for questions. But as we press to the, to the uh, conclusion as far as our, our upfront time here, I want to mention a couple of things. We've heard about the importance of expecting God to speak. We are blessed in this church. It doesn't matter if it's Pastor Brad one of our other pastors, our elders, we even have guest speakers that come in, and with a high degree of confidence, we know that God is going to speak through that person. So, the point that's in the Listen Up book booklet is this. It says, check what the preacher says. So I'm going to give you a negative example of that from way back when. When I was out in California, I was exiled out there for about a year and a half, Exiled. It's a wonderful state. Uh, yeah, I was exiled. Oh. <laughs> uh, Simon Greenleaf School of Law. One of my courses as I was getting my master's in apologetics was called Electronic Church. Now, so this is the mid-80s. And so who are the people that are on there? Well, you know, a whole bunch of people. But one of them, we had to pick one, and then we had to actually interact with how he did exactly what we're talking about right now. And so this is way back in the day that he had something called a cassette. 
And so I was able to use that, and I was listening one day and uh, to one of his sermons, and the guy's name was Kenneth Copeland, who I'm sure we're all just enamored with his teaching. But he's reading a passage of Scripture, and then he's going to launch into his sermon. And here's the point that I'm making with this. He read all the way down, and then he stopped. And I was kind of curious why he stopped at that particular verse. And then he unfolded his whole sermon, and it occurred to me why he stopped one verse short of the verse that would have overthrown everything that he said. And here's, brothers and sisters, it just struck me as odd. I, I had my Bible open as he was reading that passage of Scripture. And how could he get away with that unless everybody in that church had closed Bibles or didn't even have a Bible with so when we expect our pastor to preach, do we, are we tracking with him? Now, I ran this earlier this week. I happened to bump into Pastor Brad over in the church office, and I gave him the illustration. And to his credit, he said, check me too. In other words, <laughs> even guys that we know to be solid, there are times stupid stuff comes out of our mouths. <laughs> if he were still here, he would not try that. Oh, he would? Yeah. Well, he's had a few things he's like retraction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really and truthfully, there are times it, it happens that way. And and then it's good when somebody calls us on that. You know, sometimes my sense of humor, Nance used to tell me it was rather bizarre. Uh, and sometimes, you know, why did I say that? You know, and, and it helps sometimes if we're called on stuff like that. It just it, what it does is it checks us up to sometimes to I don't need to say everything that I think. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, one final thing in this whole area, and this is something that the Listen Up booklet really brings out, and it's this, apply. My homiletics professor way back in the day, we had to work on outlines, and I mean, he was rigorous. We had to make sure that everything that we got was coming out of the text. Expositional was the way that I was trained. And you would do your outline and your points and this and that, and the most devastating critique that you could ever get is if at some point in red ink, this was, of course, back in the day when red ink was used to, you know, as in the way of criticism, you know, it was all handwritten. There was no computer stuff back then. And here's what his words were. So what? <laughs> And I just want to go over in the corner and start crying. I mean, I worked on all of that for that long, and then he tell, busts me with, so what? Which is basically saying there was no application. Brothers and sisters, what if God said to us, when we listen to a sermon and walk out and don't apply it, and he says, Frank, so what? Why did you listen to any of that? You haven't done a thing with what he said. And in looking at the booklet this week, I, that was the exact application point that really popped me right between the eyes. So, hey, we've meet, we're talking here with meeting with God. We've been talking a lot about Bible intake, prayer. I want to mention two other things, and then what we want to do is open it up to questions that you might have. We still have ballpark five or ten minutes, so hopefully we can have some good questions be interacted. But two things. Um, you know, we're talking here mostly about Bible intake, quiet time, how that has its outworking family life with fellow believers and then even to non-Christians. But I want to suggest to you that there are a couple of other ways that we do, that we really meet with God. 
Um, and and I, maybe I'm saying this out of my own personal experience. Reading good articles. Um, when I was working at Watchdogs, typically my first few, you know, 45 minutes, hour, hour and a half, maybe even two hours on some days it was all morning. At some point in the middle of the morning or maybe sometimes a little bit sooner, I would get a bit of a break point. And what I regularly did through the years was go to the Gospel Coalition and read some of the articles that they have. Uh, I still do that. Obviously now I'm retired, so I have a lot more time. Um, but good articles, you know, good books. You know, so we gave a couple of, we gave out the booklets, we gave out a couple of the books. You know, there's book recommendations on the back of your handout. Um, good articles and good books. And I'm talking good books, not just books in general. I'm talking books that reinforce what we hear and give us a high view of God and they help us to walk more faithfully with the Lord. What I'm talking about is written words. I am not an oral hearer. Uh, what I mean by that is I'm not an oral learner. And I'm not a hands-on guy either. You know, Nancy would be here, she'd tell you, you know, screwdriver, what kind, I don't know. You know, so that's not me. But I, I take in a lot because I read a lot. So I'm just telling you, read the Word of God, but supplement it with articles and good Christian books. And that's how we can, you know, that gives us more, if you will, ammunition uh, in the best sense of that word to be able to share and bless other people with. Um, as far as our actual uh, content this morning, I want to just kind of bring us there. And now here within the last five, maybe just a little bit longer than that, what questions do you have for us? You've heard a lot. Over these last six weeks, there's been a lot shared, um, a lot that we've interacted with this morning. You know, I just want to open it up to questions. Jeff. it's a case-by-case -case basis yeah. and you've got to go by the prompting of the spirit to know how and when yeah. and what and uh he said it really well earlier when he was talking christian was talking earlier about um knowing when to see the open door or something like that yeah mm -hmm. about when when yeah. is the prompting so i think praying for opportunity and then being obedient when the door is open because usually the lord is gracious with us and that i mean he makes the door wide open usually you're like you can't ignore it you're like, yeah. okay now is my time to insert that but I think uh, relationally some people just can naturally go that way with the way that they're built um, others it's uh, relational evangelism takes time to develop and it a lot of it depends on what their cultural background has been and exposure to Christianity right. if you've got somebody who has deconstructed or has been hurt by the church it's going to be a very different type of conversation that you have with them and I think that takes, those oftentimes take a very long time. And that's fine. You're just patiently waiting with them. And you may never see the fruit of it. That's the other thing we've got to remember. That's why Paul says, I, Apollos, Apollos water, I planted Apollos water, but God made it grow. So right. the fruit may blossom long after we're in the grave. Yeah. And so we just, our job is faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Yeah, I think there's a couple of categories is that 
There are people in your life that are unsaved that you have a relationship with. So you already have a relational bond with that person. Typically those evangelistic effort, efforts take time. Um, and like my father-in-law, for example, I've now known him 20 plus years, and he's just as antagonistic towards the gospel as the first day I met him, but that doesn't mean I stop building that relationship, yeah. looking for opportunities. Yeah. Uh, my parents had a friend out of college when they were in college, and it, they witnessed her for 17 years, and then she was saved. So sometimes it takes a long time, especially in their life. But then there's other folks that you don't have a relationship with, you're just meeting off the street, in the elevator, whatever it may be. And that is, you have no idea what their relationship to the gospel is, so you have to start somewhere. And when you broach that subject, you begin to understand what their relationship to the gospel is and what your uh, ends might be down those paths. But with that, the, the icebreaker is the important thing. And I don't mean that in a flippant way. So literally, like we were saying, that what's, what's the point of interest for them that you can leverage to get the gospel in the door? Well, and I think we don't always know the person that God may bring into our life might have a relationship with a Christian who's been laboring, but you're the person that God will then use to deliver it and then call them. And you're like, wow, isn't that amazing? You're like, you have no idea that somebody had been praying and laboring. That may, maybe that that is somebody's child that they've the parents been praying for for 20 years, and you're the answer to that person's prayer. I always think about that. I'm like, that's what gives me the like, okay, I gotta go forward because I don't know where I am in the pathway of what God has for them. One of the things that, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, we interact with people. Uh, we're here in, in North America, but here in Fayetteville, we're in an international community. And so some of the times you're going to be dealing with people who, you know, they're very relational, and boom, you can be right quick with them. And I'm going to speak, you know, Christians from England. I was born in Germany. I'm a German citizen by birth. And so with a European, uh, you got to love. That's a, that's a hard road. You got to build that that trust. You know, people would tell us sometimes, "Where do you think you can talk to me about that?" You know, and I thought I knew them for a fair amount of time, but you know, it's like in a European context. Uh, you know, week six weeks. Where have you been for all of my life? And now in six weeks, you're gonna. And that was on the front. So you just have to kind of be sensitive. I think what Aaron said at the very beginning is really, really listening to what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. And who knows? Uh, I mean, one of the things that you said uh, struck me. I used to think of this, you know, like we'll go from 1 to 100. And person number 1 might have been the Apostle Paul or something. And maybe you're number 99. And God has determined that 99 is leading to 100 and 100 is the person who's going to lead that person to Christ. Yeah. And, you know, if you're at 13, there's a lot of work yet to do before that person. We don't know that. So it's always f f uh, faithfulness. I mean, European missions. <laughs> faithfulness. Man, if you're going to talk to somebody who's ministering in Europe, or, you know, Debbie was in Japan, uh, wow. And you're going to hold them to what we do here? You just can't, you can't do that. So that's an excellent question. Just always remember the book, the verse. The words of my mouth, the words of meditation of my heart, it's yeah. important. I'm over my life and my redeemer. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Um, 
So. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So it's kind of a two-part. It's pretty simple, but when it comes to evangelism, do you guys have any person? Do you have any tools that you like to use when it comes down to the gospel? And then part two or B would be: Have you ever felt? Does that ever feel disingenuous within the context of a relationship, like a bait and switch? Like, yeah, I've known you for a while, but then now you've know, just been hanging out, and that's, now it's up here is this diagram. Because I've been in that position before. And I think that's always the, the risk that we run if we don't actually love the person. I mean, if we love them, then that diagram that you may be drawing for them, if you use a diagram, is meant out of love towards them, and people know that. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So if your idea is numbers, like that, in, uh, the, in other words, yeah. like I'm, I want to, I want to put this on the like a, a tick Notch mark. On the bill. Yeah, like I got this. Um, yeah. I, the Lord used me to save this person. The Lord used me to save this person. Versus, I mean, Frank's illustration of one to one to a hundred. Just, hey, I got an opportunity to share the gospel. Hey, I got an opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah. Hey, I got an opportunity to share the gospel. Hey, I got an opportunity to love a really hard person. <laughs> you know that those are wonderful ways to be faithful. Um, but I love your question because the idea is that we don't want to treat people like projects. We want to love them like Jesus loved them and desired them to come and to be saved and to and be drawn in, um, not made to say a prayer or something. Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. But yes, I do think that is a risk that we run if we're not truly loving the lost. But it yeah. comes from a, a position of love in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna we're kind of running out of time. Let me just sum up with this thought, and it kind of addresses Kyle's question as well. Um, you know, how do we interact with people? If we, you know, as Aaron was suggesting, if it's a project, um, that that's going to come across. But be friendly. Interact with people. Just, you know, don't let the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, what, "Have you considered Jesus?" That would be very abrupt and, 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 and awkward. But as you interact with people, then you do want to have some things. And uh, Debbie, I know that you do this a lot. The little track, it's a black track called What is the Gospel? And um, <laughs> Ed Ray gives that out on the Fayetteville Trail. Yeah. I run into him, he gives me one too. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't, I think it, see, it must have been two weeks ago now. Uh, I'm on the way to church in this light goes off in the car, low tire pressure. Well, it turned out that was legit and it ended up causing me to be at tire tracks. And so here I am on Monday morning getting that addressed and there's people and I'm just talking to them and interacting with them and the car was where I had my tracks and, and I wasn't able to get it but I invited a couple of people to come and the one guy I was able to give that to and nobody said, what is this? Get this out of my, nobody said that. Is what is the gospel, and so it actually it's Greg Gilbert. So I mean, this is top drawer stuff, and so we were able to. I was able to share that. That can maybe be a help. But our attitude is it friendly? Is are you a project? Am I trying to get another notch on my belt? That those things can kind of come across. Well, hey, um, the one thing that we've really wanted to do is just to remind ourselves that we meet with God, and I want to share this verse by way of conclusion. 
and then uh, I'm going to have a prayer, and then uh, I want to make an announcement about where we're going in the next six weeks. So in Revelation 21.3, listen to what it says. Well, I, I don't have the verse in my but listen, you know, it's that verse that says, and God will be with his people. Amen. We will meet with God for all eternity. That is the outworking of what we do morning by morning and as we, in our families, fellow, in the church family, you know, non-Christians, as we see them come to faith in Christ, we're inviting them into an eternal meeting with God. I want to close in prayer and then uh, um, I'm also uh, going to uh, make an announcement about the next six weeks. Father, this morning and over these last six weeks, we've endeavored to be faithful, to talk about the importance, the great importance of meeting with you. Father, that's our greatest need is to do that. But it's also our greatest opportunity. We get to know you. Lord, that, that verse uh, that Christian uh, shared earlier, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And I think about there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. And Father, those would be the most horrifying words we could ever hear. But you invite us to actually meet with you that we might know you. And Father, we want to do that. We want to be more faithful to that end. And I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here in this class this morning and in our body of UBC, Father, that we would highly esteem that time that we have the privilege of being in your presence to meet with you. Father, may we do all of this to your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.